You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to thank the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. What a privilege it is. If you would turn in your Bible to, to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. We're going to jump in verse 30 here in just a little bit. Let me, while you're turning, let me introduce myself. I'm Mark Weibel. I'm one of the staff pastors here over the GROW team. Pastor John and Jared are still in Israel. They'll be returning this week. Um, but uh, they've asked me, Pastor John asked me, and given me the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you this morning. We've been in a sermon series these last three weeks and called, Mount, called Mountaintops. Three weeks ago, Pastor Drew took us to Mount Sinai, to Exodus chapter 3. And basically told us, instructed us, showed us that God has given each of us a calling to ministry. Some to vocational ministry, missions. Others are called to uh, other forms of mission work. But all are called to personal ministry. There is a calling on each of our lives to personal ministry. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ryan took us to Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 3 spoke about Jehovah Jireh, God being our provider, that the mountains are surrounded by peaks and valleys, and that God provides both on the mountaintops and in the valleys as we follow him in faith. Last week, Pastor John took us through the temptation of Jesus after he had spent 40 days in the wilderness on a spiritual retreat. Uh, and he detailed the temptations that were faced in, that, that Jesus faced in, out of Matthew chapter 4. He described how spiritual high points are generally followed by temptation. And that we are faced with the choice between righteousness over sin. And we're to be alert after every mountaintop experience. Today it is my privilege to speak with you about the Mount of Olives. And so if you would, let's look at Matthew chapter 26 verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, this was Jesus uh, and his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, the, the last supper had been instituted and they had washed their disciples' feet. They sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives, verse 36 in, in Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. In verse 38, he said, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Father, I pray that today as the word is spoken, that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would come and bring conviction, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to respond. Father, I ask you, for your name's sake and for your glory, to do this. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we explore the Mount of Olives, I want us to see this Mount of Olives as a place of surrender. So if you're a note taker, I'd encourage you just to, over the top of your notes, just put a place of surrender. To understand this place of surrender, we need to look at lessons that we can learn from the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is well known throughout Scripture, but really there's very limited things that have happened that we know from the Mount of Olives. So we're going to take a look at uh, six different lessons that we can learn from the Mount of Olives. The first one is when we are introduced to the Mount of Olives, 
It's in 2 Samuel chapter 15. I'll set it up by simply saying King David had been anointed king and he was ruling and reigning, rightfully so. And his son Absalom began to stand in the gates and he began to say, if I were king. And he began to turn the hearts of the people and he stole not only their hearts, but he stole their allegiance. And in 2 Samuel 15 verse 13, You'll see it on the screen behind me. It says, a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And David said, let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Skip down to verse 30. Where did they escape to? Verse 30. David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. The first thing I want us to understand is that the Mount of Olives, the very first time that we see the Mount of Olives in Scripture, that it's called out in Scripture, is a time when King David was fleeing his own son. He had to flee because the, his own son had rejected his authority. And he had then rallied the people of Israel to do the very same thing and follow in his son's rebellion. And it says he went weeping as he went. So we see that it was a place where there was weeping over what had gone on, the rejection of kingly authority. Fast forward a thousand years later. We're going to see at, our end, at the end of our time together, King Jesus, another king, is recorded as being in deep agony and weeping on the Mount of Olives on the night of his betrayal because of his rebellious children who rejected his kingship and followed the creator, created rather than the creator. You understand that even in the Old Testament, it was an Old Testament prototype of what was getting ready to happen in the New Testament, that there was a king and there was a rejection of authority and there was a rejection through his own son and his own children who then rallied people to the wrong idea and the king wept over the fact that these people had chosen wrongly. The second lesson that we can learn from the Mount of Olives it is, his, it is Jesus' customary place of prayer. It was his custom to go there to pray. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Again, on the screens behind me, it says, Jesus, as was his custom, went to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him there. This is, again, on the night that he was betrayed. They had had the Last Supper, and the, Luke tells the story. Not only did he go to the Mount of Olives, but he adds this one little phrase saying, as was his custom. What we understand then is that the Mount of Olives was a place where Jesus went on a regular basis, where he went for times of communion with the Lord. We know specifically that he went to the Mount of Olives and spent the night in prayer before he came from that place, came down, launched his leadership, anointing the disciples, naming the disciples to be his 12 followers. We also know that the Mount of Olives was a place where after a heavy day of ministry, Jesus would send the disciples off and he would go to the Mount of Olives and he would spend the night in prayer. Through scripture, we see that ministry came from Jesus' time in the Mount of Olives or ministry came to Jesus after having ministered to others going to the Mount of Olives. I think the lesson that we need to learn, the second lesson that we need to learn is this. We need a customary place of communion with the Father for refreshment, for direction, for instruction, and for support in order to do the ministry that we are called to do. 
As Drew so aptly pointed out, we are all called to do ministry. There is no um, relief from anybody's ability or, or call uh, to, to do ministry. We are all called to minister. But ministry is hard and ministry can take effort. There are times that we need, we need a customary place where we can go and we can be before the Lord and the Lord can instruct us and the Lord can give us word and the Lord can give us vision. The Lord can give us direction or we need to, after having come out of a time of ministry, we need to go to a retreat and to our customary place where it is customary and God says, I'm going to meet you in that place. It was the Mount of Olives for Jesus we, you and I, need a customary place of communion with the Father for refreshment, direction, instruction, and support. So that from that place, we can go into ministry or we can go back to that place coming out of ministry. Because as Pastor John said, after we have these spiritual high moments, the temptation is going to come. So my question is this, do you have a customary place of communion with the Lord. I'm going to just hold that mirror up a couple of times and simply say, brothers and sisters, it's for your own good, for our own good. Is there a customary place that you go to receive instruction, to receive refreshment, to receive word from the Lord? I encourage you today, find a Mount of Olives that you can go and have communion with the Lord. The third lesson that we learn from the Mount of Olives is this. It was the point of origin for Jesus' triumphal entry. The last week of Jesus' life, so much went on. If you, if you look, it is recounted in, in Matthew chapter 21. It's recounted in Mark 11 in and in Luke chapter 19. These all refer to the triumphal entry. And I think it's important to understand that the triumphal entry began at the Mount of Olives. Jesus instructs uh, the disciples to go and get the, the donkeys and bring them to him because he had need of them to come from the Mount of Olives. Again, I want to paint this picture that we understand coming from the Mount of Olives. He goes into the final week of his life. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think the final week of Jesus's life would have been a light, easy week? Or do you think it probably would have been a pretty heavy week of ministry? I tell you what we can read in, in Matthew, uh, in, the, in the recount and the story of Jesus' last week of his life, there was so much ministry that went on. From Jesus' customary place of communion, he was prepared for the triumphal entry in the final week and all of the challenges uh, that he would face, the highs and the lows of those challenges. If you can imagine... All it, it, uh, when, when Jesus went down the, the, the road uh, from the Mount of Olives into the Jerusalem, it says they cut branches off and they threw their cloaks and they threw them in the road and he rode in on the donkey and people were shouting, Hosanna, 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 blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the, it said the, 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 the whole city came out to see him and the, the, the leaders, the religious, the religious leaders cried out and said, the whole world is going to this man. How heady would that be? Remember, he had already had his time of testing in, from, from the devil of, hey, if you'll just do this, I'll let people praise you. And here they are all praising him. But Jesus, because he came from a point of communion, he didn't let that get to his head. In Matthew 21, verses, uh, in Matthew 21 through 26, there's the story of his final week on earth. And in that time, he gave five very important parables dealing with preparedness. 
He also cleansed the temple. So Jesus, uh, from the point of uh, having received communion and instruction from the Lord, goes into the temple and he turns over the, the, the money tables, the, the money tables, uh, the, the changers tables. And he went in and he challenged uh, the, the religious leaders. He gave the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. Now, if you can imagine, this is the, the big people in, in religious circles in the heart of Jerusalem. And he's in the synagogue and he's challenging the religious authority. And he's, saying, he's pronouncing these seven woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees. He challenged their religious authorities. He issued the great commandment from there. And he in turn faced challenges to his authority. He challenged the belief system of the day. And then he began to speak of the end times. So here's this week in which there's incredible highs and then there's strong opposition and attacks all in this one period of one week. The lesson that I think we need to learn from this encounter with the Mount of Olives is it is important for us to enter into significant periods of our lives having a customary place of communion with the Lord as our foundation. Are you going into seeking the Lord for a job change? Are you seeking the Lord for something, uh, a major decision in your life? Are you seeking the Lord for, about a ministry that is going on? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you facing these decisions? Are there, is there anxiety that's weighing on you and you are facing decisions that are upcoming? Are you facing opposition? Let me encourage you that only from having a customary place of times of refreshment with the Lord are we able to go into those fully armed and ready to face whatever it is that is coming at us. So the, the, again, the mirror, do you have such a place? Do you have a Mount of Olives that will serve as the foundation from which you can do ministry and face the challenges that lie ahead? The fourth lesson that we learned uh, from the Mount of Olives, it was the site from which Jesus detailed the signs of the close of the age. In Matthew chapter 24 and Mark 13, it talks about the, it's known as the Olivet Discourse. Um, and from this place, Jesus speaking to the people tells about false Christs that are coming. He tells about wars and rumors of wars. He tells about famine. He tells about earthquakes and tribulation. He talks about a great falling away. And he talks about a spirit of lawlessness that is going to be released in the end times. Does this sound like anything today that is going on? You see, in the middle of this Olivet Discourse, in the middle of saying, this is what is going to happen, he gives two parables that I want us to draw our attention to. In Matthew 25, I want you to, to look at this. It's a very, very familiar passage. Uh, it, it's the familiar passage of the ten virgins that are waiting for the bridegroom to come. And they show up and they're part of the bridal party. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And they're sitting there and five of them have extra oil. And five of them realize as the, as, uh, the, the bridegroom delays his, his coming, his appearing, they realize, gosh, we're going to run out of oil. And so the five foolish ones go to the five wise ones and say, hey, share with us your oil. And the five wise ones go, no, if we do that, we won't have enough either. You need, to, you need to go and find some. You need to be prepared for the bridegroom's coming. And the bridegroom delayed. The longer he delayed, they said, okay, we'll go get some. And when they left to go get the oil, the bridegroom came. They went into the marriage supper. The door was shut and the five uh, foolish virgins came back. They had oil at that time, but the, the issue was the door was shut and it was too late. 
Jesus gives this parable, and it's a parable of preparedness. He is simply saying, I want you to be prepared. I want you, in light of everything that I've just taught you about the end times, and everything that I've taught you about what's getting ready to happen, I want you to be prepared. Jesus said, I've told you what's going to happen. I've told you beforehand this is going to, be, this is going to happen. I want you to be prepared. My question is, are, are you prepared? Are you prepared today for the Lord to come? The second parable is in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. This is the parable of the talents. Many of us know this story that a master comes and he, he gives talents. And the problem with that word is we think talents means like abilities. The word talents literally means large sum of money. And so he gives uh, this one servant, he gives five bags of money. Another servant, he gives two bags of money. Another servant, he gives one bag of money. And, and the, 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 the master goes away. And immediately the one with five goes out and he makes five more. And the one with two goes out and he makes two more. And the, the one with one says, oh man, I know, I know the master and he's a hard man. So I'm going to take my one and I'm going to bury it in the ground. It says after a season, the master came back. The parable says that the, 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 the master called them to account and the one with five came and said, I, I had five, I've made five, here's 10. The one with two said, I had two and I made two, here's four. The one with one said, I had one, I knew you were hard, so I buried it in the ground. The first two heard these words, same words, it didn't matter how much they made, the same words were this, well done. You have been faithful in little. I will make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But to the third one, the one who didn't do anything with the, what with, had, had been entrusted to him, he buried it. The master looked and said, you wicked servant, you know, you know by your own words that I'm one who requires return on investment. And you didn't do anything with it. Therefore, it's taken away from you and given to the one who had five and made five. And you are bound and cast out. Let me tell you, let me tell you that this wicked slave did, uh, did not understand that this parable was a parable of production. God is calling us not only to preparation, but he is calling us to production. In light of everything that he had just shared about what was getting ready to come, he gives those two parables. I want you to be prepared and I want you to be productive. He concludes the Olivet Discourse with uh, the, the pronunciation of the final judgment, the story of the sheep and the goats, how there is a separation coming. And let me just simply say this. If you are outside of Christ, there is a separation coming. It's not, oh, I hope I'm good enough or, oh, I did more good than bad. There is a separation coming and that separation is one of eternal separation. And Jesus Christ is saying, I want you to be prepared and I want you to be productive. You see the serious nature of the end times calls for greater understanding of what is expected and required of us. I've told you what's going to happen. I want you to be productive. I've told you what's going to happen. I want you to be prepared. In light of impending judgment, we must be prepared and productive. So my question is this. Are you prepared? 
Are you ready? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Looks like a great crowd here today. Y'all look wonderful, but perhaps there are some who are playing the religious game. There may be some here simply not having ever thought about coming to faith in Christ. Maybe somebody just invited you. And I'm simply saying this, that Jesus Christ is saying to you, there is a day coming that will be set for all eternity. And there is only one way to have a relationship in heaven. And that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you are outside of Christ, I beg you today to consider faith in Christ. I beg you to repent of your sin and to, to turn and stop playing any religious games and come to faith in Christ, submitting your life to him. And for those who are in Christ and yet not being productive, you've let the world come in and change the way you think about things. Are you advancing the kingdom of God or have you buried that which God has given you? Are you being productive the fifth lesson that I want us to learn from the Mount of Olives, uh, it is the site of Jesus' ascension and his second coming. In Acts chapter 1, uh, the, the, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. They're all gathered around uh, after 40 days. And it says that a cloud came and took Jesus out of their sight. And while they were standing there gazing into heaven, two men said, why do you stand here looking into heaven? Jesus will come in the same way that you saw him go. And it says they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Here it is, Jesus, the, the, the last day he spent on earth, the last moments on earth was from the Mount of Olives. Here it is, that place of communion. One more time, the place of preparation. One more time, it says that he left the earth from the Mount of Olives. That he went into the, to the ascension from the Mount of Olives. And then the angel said, the way he went, he's coming again. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3 says this, the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. And on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. That's a prophecy about the return of Christ. You see, the Mount of Olives is a place, once again, where Jesus is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. And at that point, there will be no rejection of his authority. That will be the final time that people have the opportunity to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. The Mount of Olives was a site of Jesus' deepest sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane, his greatest earthly glory in his ascension, his ascension, and our future hope in his return. With these life lessons in view, I simply want to talk about that sixth lesson that we learned from the Mount of Olives. It's where we started. It was the last night before his crucifixion, Jesus spent in the Garden, uh, in the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look back again at Matthew chapter 26. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. The, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And again for a second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot cut, pass from me uh, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came, uh, he came again, he came and he found them sleeping. So he went away and he prayed for a third time saying the same words again. You see three times Jesus sought the father on the Mount of Olives in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, Jesus, Jesus said, God, please, I don't want to have to do this. I know this is the plan. I know this is what we set from the foundation of the world. But now that I'm here, God, I don't want to do this. You see, it's the only time in recorded history that we know that God's will and Jesus' will were at odds. You see, he said, I don't want to drink this, but nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. I, I, I picture it like this. I picture it like an hourglass. I, I think that in that moment, all of history was coming to a point. Everything that had been prophesied about Jesus, all of history was coming to a point in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a foregone conclusion that if he went to the cross, that God would defeat death by raising him from the dead. That was already prophesied. We knew that was going to happen. But all of history came to this funnel point, this one point in the hourglass of history. Luke 22 recounts the story that he sweat drops of blood. He was in agony. He was in sorrow. He was in pain. He could have said simply this, you know what? Those that I created, they want to kill me. Uh, those that are close to me will betray me. My inner circle is going to die even knowing me and they're all going to run away from me in my most desperate hour. Why should I die for them? I'm out. I don't have to do this. But instead, three times, he came back and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, that resolve comes from a steadfast understanding that God is good and God can be trusted, when it, which comes from having an established place of customary communion with the Father. In Jesus' case, the Mount of Olives. I ask you again, do you have that place where you have come to say, nevertheless, not my will. I understand your steadfast love. You see, once before there was a man in a garden and that man, Adam, looked at God and said, God, not your will, but mine be done. And all destruction ensued from that one decision. And here in, the, in that moment in the garden with Jesus, Jesus' response was opposite, not my will, but yours be done. And all that had been done from Adam was now undone in Jesus. Because from that place, he went to the most excruciating place, the cross. Everything was settled from that point. You see, an attitude of submission is always based in a heart of trust, which comes from a customary place of communion. Is your heart submitted to the Lord? It, that would come from a place of customary communion with the Lord. I want to take you to just a time in my life when I was in the Garden of Gethsemane, literally. And you see it on the screen behind me. I was standing at the gate, uh, the fence there, and, and I was reliving. I was walking through this time of Jesus in that, that night that he was betrayed. And I pictured him at the big olive tree that you see there on the left-hand side. And I'm standing at the gate, and, and all of a sudden the Lord just kind of opened my eyes, and I saw this vision. I, I don't know what else to call it. It was a visage of Jesus and his arms was outstretched and his, he, he, it showed from here up and it showed a crown of thorns on his head and blood was coming down and I saw an arm with a whip and I saw in slow motion a whip coming and hitting Jesus on the back and every time it did I saw his head recoil pop up and his mouth open and scream out and then he would lay his head back down and he kept, I saw this four times, one, Two, ah, three, ah, I saw it. In my mind's eye, I saw it. And I knew that Jesus from the, uh, from the garden, when Peter cut off the ear of the, the, the slave uh, that came to arrest him, 
Peter, uh, Jesus looked at Peter and said, don't you know I could call 10,000 angels and God would have sent them to rescue me? In other words, I can get out of this anytime I want. And in my mind's eye, as I saw this fifth blow coming, I saw Jesus's head raise up and I saw his mouth open and I knew in my knower that he was getting ready to say, enough, enough. I don't have to go through this. I don't want to go through this. I don't have to go through this. And I knew in that moment that had he said enough, all of eternity would have changed. But in that moment, he looked through the tunnel of time and his eyes locked with mine as I stood at that gate. And he lowered his head and he said, continue for Mark's sake. I want to tell you, I lost it right there. I went down on the ground. I was holding on to those bars and I just became a puddle. I wept because I understood a measure, a small measure of the pain that Jesus went through for me. And I will say the same thing to you. Jesus looked through the tunnel of time and he looked into your eyes and he said, continue for you. That's what Jesus did in that garden when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. While I was standing there, a tour guide came, stood 10 feet from me. And they said, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And what is known about the Garden of Gethsemane, everybody knows that it's the most important garden in all of Israel because it's where all the olives are produced. And you see, olive oil is good for uh, medicinal purposes and it's good for our export. And uh, olive is the economic engine that drives uh, Israel. And so it is very, very important in the history of Israel, this Garden of Gethsemane, that's what this is known for. Let's all go get on the bus. And I'm 10 feet away and I'm a puddle and I just wanted to scream and say, no, don't you see? Don't you see what Jesus did? And I said, God, what's going on? And the Lord just simply said, their eyes are veiled. And I would say to you, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, your eyes are veiled because Jesus did this for you. You see, if you desire your will more than God's will, you do not trust God. You see, it's not wrong or a sin to have a will. It is wrong to exalt that will above God's will. We can all present our case, but we must come to the point, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What does that look like? Not my will, but yours be done. I want to give you one example out of my own life. 1986, I was in a position where the Waco schools, I was the head basketball coach at Richfield High School. Waco schools were consolidating, put three schools into one. I'd been told I had the head basketball job of Waco High. That was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I was happy. I was so excited about that. And, uh, but I wanted to do the spiritual thing and I wanted to pray about it, you know, because I needed to pray and acknowledge so I'm driving to work every day and I'm saying, Lord, um, Psalm 37, four says that if I delight myself in you, you'll give me the desires of my heart. Therefore, I delight myself in you. Hey, and you're going to give me the desire of my heart. And the desire of my heart is to be the head, the head basketball coach at Waco High. And every day I was praying that. And one day I'm driving on Cobb's Drive right by Lake Erie, Montessori. And the Lord said, what if that's not my will for you? And I laughed out loud. <laughs> Lord, no, no. Uh, okay. 
went on, next day I'm driving down the road. Oh, Lord, I delight myself in you. Thank you, you're gonna give me the desire of my heart. What if that's not my will for you? <laughs> you know, Lord, you said that yesterday. You, you need to get a new line now. That, 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 you know, that, that's a little old. That, you, know, you, you got me yesterday, not today. Third day, notice, three days. How many times did Jesus go and ask? Three times. Third day, I'm driving down the road. Lord, I delight myself. Mark, what if that's not what I want for you? And I got mad. I literally got mad at God and I said, God, I don't know what your deal is. I can't do anything else. I'm not qualified to do anything else. I don't want to do anything else. This is what I'm called to do, all for your sake and for your glory, so thank you. But you know what? I'm really kind of mad at you right now. You've done this three times in a row, so I'm done talking to you. I'm going to turn on the radio. Now, for those of you who are young, a radio is a thing that's in a car. And they used to have things called knobs that you would turn. So I got mad at God. I reached up and I said, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And I turned on the radio and this is what came on. And I literally turned off the radio. That 10 seconds changed my life because that was my nevertheless moment. Keep me in the center of your will. So my prayer then became, Lord, I really want to be the head basketball coach. But more than that, I want to be in the center of your will. Now, if you're taking opinions... Wednesday, this past Wednesday, I started my 38th year here on staff at Highland Baptist Church. You see, God, listen, God had a different plan, something I could not have imagined, influence that I never could have seen, things that God has done in me, through me, for me, that I never could have imagined. But it came because my Mount of Olives moment happened on Cobb's Drive, by Lake Air Junior High, where I said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I want to close with this. I'm going to ask you, where is God calling you to a place of surrender of your will to his will by saying, nevertheless, not my will? but yours be done. I heard a preacher one time say, you have to be true to who you are. God would never call you to deny yourself. If you don't know, that's totally anti-scripture. Mark 8 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 10, um, verse 38, whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, friends, if you will not deny yourself, you are not worthy of the Lord. Not my words. That's a hard word for me to stand before you and say, but it's my call to you to be prepared and to be productive because Jesus is coming back. If you are outside of Christ, I encourage you to come to faith in Christ, repenting of your sins, putting your faith and trust in him. If you're in Christ, but away from him, I'm calling you to come back. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me at this moment and we're gonna pray and then we're gonna respond. 
I'm going to ask you this. What do you need to surrender to the Lord? Is it your career? Is it your, your success in business? Is it your promotion you're wanting to get? Is it fame? Is it popularity? Is it your singleness? I really want to be married. I really want a child. I really need this. I really need that. This is my whatever. Is it your identity? Is it your sexuality? Is it your time? Is it control? Is God calling you to give up control? Is it your anxiety? Is it your future? What is it that God is calling you to say, you know what, I can have a will, but my will is gonna be met at the Mount of Olives by coming and saying, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm gonna pray the worship team is gonna come. There'll be some staff members here at the altars to receive you if you want prayer. If you wanna move right past them and come make this your Mount of Olives. These, let these right here, just like my Mount of Olives was on Cobb's Drive, let these altars right here become a Mount of Olives in your life where you come and say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to yield our will to you. Lord, I thank you for the ability that you gave us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us to bow our knee, to bend our knee, to come and to bow before you, simply saying, God, I want to follow the example of Jesus, and I want to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Father, I pray that as we open the altars, that these altars would be filled with those who are simply ready to come and say, I'm ready to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm ready to yield to him. I'm ready to be productive. I'm ready to be prepared. Lord, let me be, let this be my Mount of Olives moment. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I encourage the staff members that are uh, here to come and be ready to receive people. If, the, if you don't want to pray with any of them, you just step forward and come and kneel at the altar and, and give yourself fully to the Lord and say to him, Lord, your will be done in my life.